turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 1 through 23. Please give your attention to God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they have no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. If I worked in the field of marketing or public relations and I was asked to improve the image of the church in our culture, one thing that I would do is ban those church signs that have changeable messages on them. (laughs) I'm sure you've seen many of them and if you haven't, all you have to do is Google funny church sign and you'll get a bunch of them on your computer screen. Let me share just a few, just to give you an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. One church sign, it said, choose the bread of life or your toast. (laughs) 
Another one said, stop, drop, and roll does not work in hell. Another one said, drivers, honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to meet him. (laughs) Just one more. This church sign said, our Sundays are better than Dairy Queen's. Now, I have to admit, I get a kick out of those signs. A lot of them are cute and funny, but I would ban them if I could. I would ban them because they tend to assault the driver driving by or the walker walking by, and they tend to trivialize our message. As methods of evangelism, they're not totally without merit or effectiveness, but they're just a step above bumper stickers and two steps below Twitter. How should we spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How does the word go forth and change the world? In Matthew 13, Jesus uses agricultural images, images from farming, to teach his disciples about his kingdom and how it would spread to the ends of the earth. This passage fits well with this series, this very short series of three sermons on the motto of our church. The motto that you find on the front of our bulletin, which kind of summarizes how we understand who we are and what our ministry is about, says growing roots, bearing fruit, and branching out. And as I've said the last couple weeks, it's based on that very common biblical image, a very common biblical metaphor that a healthy, vibrant disciple of Jesus Christ is like a healthy, vibrant tree. Or a healthy, vibrant church is like a healthy, vibrant tree. The Bible uses the metaphor in both ways, for both, in both cases, in the individual and the corporate. As Isaiah puts it, and as our vision statement is based, it says, we are to long to be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. The first week we looked at Psalm 1 and we saw that that health and vitality in a disciple or a congregation begins by delighting in and meditating upon the Word of God. The Word of God is where it begins and it's the foundation of all that a healthy church is and does. That's the roots of the healthy tree. Then last week in Galatians 5, we saw that healthy trees, if the roots are in place and life is flowing through this vibrant, healthy congregation, then it's going to produce fruit, the spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. And that those fruits of the Spirit do not grow out of Bible study alone but out of transformed hearts. That it's the work of the Holy Spirit that produces a new nature in us so that we are new creations who long to be like Christ. And what is Christ like? He's like the fruits of the Spirit. So that's the roots, that's the fruit. This week we look at the branching out. When a healthy disciple or a healthy congregation has strong roots and bears good fruit, The next step should be to branch out and bring the influence, the blessings of the kingdom to whatever surrounds. Jesus actually uses that image here later in chapter 13. If you look down in verse 31, 
says, Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And there's a beautiful picture of the church as a sheltering source of life to the world around it. That's what a healthy church does. It develops strong roots, bears good fruit, and branches out to be a kingdom influence on the area around it. And so the key is getting the word out. It's what we call evangelism. Evangelism is simply just getting the message about Jesus Christ out to the world. And when it comes to evangelism, it seems like churches in our culture anyway tend to fall into two categories. Either they do it badly or they don't do it at all. And they sit around criticizing those who do it badly. I think part of the problem is that we don't spend enough time, we we spend a lot of time talking about the methodology of getting the word out. We don't spend nearly enough time studying the theology of getting the word out. How does God understand the process of his word going out and changing the world? Well, we're using agricultural terms here in Matthew 13, so let me ask the question, how effective would a farmer be if he didn't understand how plants grow? How effective would he be? And how much more effective would he be if he understood well the process of plants growing? Well, that's what I want to do this morning. How does the kingdom grow? Well, I have to begin by saying, first of all, in one important sense, the kingdom doesn't grow. It doesn't grow in the sense that the king is already on the throne, the kingdom is already here, and we can't make it any more here than it already is here. We can't put the king on the throne any more than he already is on the throne. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, came to earth, lived a perfect life, and then offered up his perfect life as a sacrifice on the cross to pay the full price for our sins. And having conquered sin by dying in our place on the cross, he was raised from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is now seated on the throne over all of the universe, not just America, not just the world, but over every centimeter of the universe, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we cannot amend that, we can't change that, we can't add to it. He is the king of all. But this fallen earth is living in rebellion. Unfortunately, most of the people on the earth reject their true king. And they rebel against his will. It's a long movement of a rebellion that has been going on for a very, very long time. In that sense, those of us who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and King are part of the loyal resistance. We are resisting against the illegitimate authorities and taking a stand for the true King. So when we preach the gospel, we are, in a sense, we can't make the kingdom grow, but what we're doing is making the kingdom visible. What happens is that when a sinner like you and me hears the gospel, believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, repents of their sin, and begins to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, in a very real sense, the kingdom becomes more visible because we see more loyal subjects of the kingdom living out a kingdom life under the sun. 
It's a slow, imperceptible growth of the kingdom. That's what Jesus described when he came. A little while ago, we prayed the Lord's Prayer, and there's a very important line in that prayer where we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that's what I'm talking about. That's the kingdom becoming visible. So let's go back here to Matthew 13, and in the context, what's interesting, if you go back and if you had a time, we had time to go back and look at chapters 11 and 12, you would see that on the surface, the kingdom seems to be growing tremendously at this point in history because Jesus has masses of followers coming to him. The crowds are so big that, as you see at the beginning of chapter 13, he actually has to get on a boat and go out a little ways from the shore so that all the people standing along the shore can hear him. But if you also look carefully at the chapters leading up to chapter 13, you also see that the hostility to Christ as king is also growing stronger and stronger. And so it leads to that question, why? If he's the true king, he's the eternal king, why do so many rebel against him? Why do so many reject him? And why do any of us receive him? Is maybe the better question. Well, that's what these stories that Jesus tells are about. He tells a series of parables, which are short stories that make a spiritual point, illustrate a spiritual truth. He tells a series of parables to show us why there were such, and still are, such divergent responses to Christ as king. And he begins here with a very simple story of a farmer planting his fields. Very familiar image to the people in that agricultural culture that he was in. And the point that he's making is that in order to understand kingdom growth, you first need to understand the life-giving power of the seed. The life-giving power of the seed. Look at verse 3. A sower went out to sow. Very simple picture. That's the normal way of planting in the first century. If you're planting wheat or barley, in first century Judea, the farmer would walk through his field. He'd have a a bag of seed hanging off of his shoulder, and he would take handfuls of that seed, and he'd just walk through the cultivated field and just toss it out there. Luke's account, Matthew doesn't spell it out precisely here, but Luke adds that Jesus actually made it absolutely clear. It says, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And that's where the focus of the story is, isn't it? It's on the seed, and then secondly, in a moment, we'll look at the soil. We tend to focus on the farmer when we apply it to evangelism. We tend to focus on the messenger. But Scripture always focuses on the power of the message itself. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The word, of course, that Paul uses there is dunamis in Greek, which is the word we get dynamite from. It's really powerful, the word of God. Powerful, supernaturally powerful to destroy sin and impart spiritual life. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is living and active, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. That is powerful. We don't need to add to it. We certainly must not take away from it. We don't need to fix it. We don't need to jazz it up. We don't need to update it. 
It is the power of God to salvation. And a seed is a good picture of that power. Because a seed has life within it in a real sense. It has the embryo of the future plant in it. And it has all the essential nutrients that that embryo needs to begin life. There is definitely life in the seed. Spiritually, spiritual life is in the word of God. Did you ever notice how Peter uses this same imagery in chapter 1, talking about how believers came to form the church by God's grace? He says in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It was the word of God that brought life to all of us, to Christians in every age. It is the power of God to salvation. You see, sowing doesn't really require all that much skill in farming life. Tossing the seed out there is not that difficult. The emphasis in Scripture is not upon our experience and our skill and our ability. The emphasis is upon the power of the message. Now, I don't mean to in any way demean the study of theology and apologetics and sh- the, the, the techniques of sharing your faith. Those are all important things. But the emphasis in Scripture is upon the power of the word itself, the message that we bear. We must never forget that. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthian church, a church that put way too much emphasis on the messengers and not enough on the message. Remember what he said. He said, I, when I came to you, did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And the reason that God used weak messengers like him, he said, was so that the people would be impressed with the power of the gospel. That the focus would be upon the message and not the messenger. Paul said he preached Christ crucified. It's just that simple. But it takes more than sowing the seed to have a great harvest. And so Jesus goes on to talk about the condition of the soil. Good seed cannot grow in bad soil. That's just a basic farming principle. And so Jesus is talking about the heart of the one who hears the word. The condition of the heart. The spiritual condition. The field that Jesus describes here in his story would sound very familiar to his listeners. Every farmer would plow and prepare and cultivate and fertilize and prepare his field, but not all of the soil in that that field would be suitable to receive the seed. And so he first talks about the hard soil, and that would be the, the soil that was the path. Every field had to have a path, because how do you sow your seed if you don't have a path to walk through the field? And so every field, every farmer's field would have good cultivated soil, but it also would have hard paths that you could walk through. And not only the farmer, but neighbors would use it because you didn't have the kind of road system we're used to. And neighbors would use the path too. So it would be well-trodden down paths. And of course, the ground there was impenetrable. Any seed that fell on the path would become bird food in a hurry because the ground couldn't receive it. And so as Jesus describes it, this is the heart of a hardened sinner. It's also the heart of a convinced pagan who has rejected the truth of the word of God and accepted a false gospel or a false religion. It's also the heart of the scribes and Pharisees 
who claimed to believe the word of God, but their hearts were too hard to receive the message of Jesus Christ. It didn't penetrate. The second type of soil, representing the second type of heart that Jesus described, is the rocky soil. Soil in old Judea was a lot like Pennsylvania soil. A thin layer of good soil, maybe, but very quickly you get into a lot of rock. And that's the kind of, there's parts of the field that the farmer wasn't able to cultivate because of the rock just under the surface. The seed that fell here would sprout up quickly, but then also fade quickly because it had no roots. I think this category of people was probably the largest category of the people that were listening to Jesus that day. People who had an initially positive response to the message of Jesus. But when times got tough, as Jesus uses the terms here, tribulation or persecution, when times got tough, they fell away. These are people who didn't count the cost of following Jesus. It's like the people after Jesus fed the 5,000. What an amazing miracle. People were flocking to him that day. But then he started talking about the cost of discipleship and the vast majority of them left him. They were like the second category, the rocky soil. Or maybe like those Jews who greeted Jesus at the gates of the temple or the gates of the city of Jerusalem shouting, Hosanna! to the son of David. This is the Messiah. And then only several days later, we're shouting, crucify him. When I was growing up, my mother uh, didn't get the gospel in the church that she attended, but she watched whatever gospel preaching she could find on television. And we regularly watched the old Billy Graham crusades. I think every crusade that was on during my childhood, I saw with my mother's, uh, because my mother watched every one of them. And I remember how impressive it was to watch the thousands of people come down to give their lives to Christ. But we all know, Billy Graham knows, everybody knows, that the majority of those people did not persist in following Christ. Praise God for those who did. But that's just the nature of the work of the ministry. That's the nature of the work of the kingdom. That there's a lot of hearts out there that are like that rocky soil that will have an initially positive response, but that response will not continue when the cost of discipleship gets difficult. Then there's the third type of soil that Jesus describes as the weedy soil, the thorny soil. Some of the seed would fall in part of the field, maybe along the edges or or certain parts of the field where the thorns and the weeds hadn't been removed. And those weeds couldn't grow either because the other roots of the thorns and the weeds would choke them out. And in verse 22, Jesus says those thorns represent the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. These are people that are, they like Jesus. They're interested in what Jesus has to say. They even are kind of drawn by the whole idea of the cross, maybe. But they just have too much going on right now. Just too much going on. Too many things going on in their career. Too many problems in their family. Too many relationships that are complicated right now. They just don't have the time. Or maybe they're so caught up, as Jesus says, in their wealth and possessions that eternal things just aren't that important right now. This would be the rich young ruler who was drawn to Jesus. There's no doubt about it. He was drawn to Jesus. But when Jesus brought up his idolatry, his love of his possessions, his wealth, he fell away, at least temporarily. 
This would be Judas, probably, who stayed with Jesus a long time, but when it came down to it, he wanted a different kind of a Messiah, one that was more worldly than the one that Jesus claimed to be. And it also describes Demas, an associate, a a fellow minister of Paul. Demas, who simply it says in Scripture, and this is his memorial in Scripture, he loved this present world and so didn't stay with the kingdom. Did you notice of these first three types of hearts that Jesus compares to the different kinds of soil, one of them rejected the Word of God outright, didn't penetrate at all, had nothing to do with the Word of God. But two of them initially responded favorably and eventually fell away. And we know that from our own experience, that there are some who come for a while but ultimately fall away. But it's not as though the power of the word of God has failed, as Paul would say. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, regarding those who even became teachers in the church but eventually fell away, John says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And there's the key difference. If you stay with Christ, it's not to your credit. It's because the Holy Spirit has made it possible. The Holy Spirit has truly changed your heart, has truly prepared your heart, so that you can receive the word of God, develop roots, bear fruit to the glory of God. That's what we called last week regeneration. New creation in Christ. And that brings us to the fourth kind of soil, which is the ready soil. The ground that was well plowed and fertilized and watered and ready to receive the seed. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. If you're ready to receive the word, receive it, and you will have life. This is the born-again heart, the one that wants to listen, it wants to understand, it wants to believe, it wants to repent, turn away from the ugliness of its sin, and obey the word of God. That's a heart that only the Spirit can give. The Spirit prepares the soil of our hearts so that it will receive the life-giving, powerful word. Practically speaking, then the obvious lesson is that you cannot dump a pile of seed on bad soil and expect it to grow plants. A pile of seed on bad soil will not produce a harvest, neither will barraging hardened people with the truth make any difference in their heart or their life. Shoving seed deeper into hardened and bad soil will not make it grow either. Neither will sales techniques or manipulation make people believe. That's the work of the Spirit. It's not our work. It's the work of the Spirit. Which brings me to the final minor character in the story, the sower. And there the focus is just on the faithfulness of the sower. He went out to his field and he sowed. He was faithful. He shared the word. The picture of kingdom growth that Jesus gives here focuses upon the seed and the soil, upon the gospel and the sinner who hears it. That's the focus of the story, and that's the focus of kingdom growth. The sower, or the messenger, or the evangelist, whatever you want to call him, should not be the focus of the story. The success of the harvest does not depend on us at all. Again, that Corinthian church that got so caught up in their celebrity pastors and leaders, Paul, Apollos, Peter, 
They became divided over who was the better messenger. This is what, how Paul responded in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We're given one simple job. To sow the truth of the gospel and all of God's word wherever we go in all these different ways, according to our calling, according to our opportunity, according to our temperament, according to our personality, just tell the truth. Live the truth. The world so desperately needs to hear it. Last week, we talked about obedience and righteousness, and we talked about that real spirit-produced righteousness is relational righteousness. In other words, we are good not in order to fill some quota or check off some list or to earn favor with God. We are good because he has redeemed us. We are good because Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead, and we are bound to him as a bride to a bridegroom. We love him. We live for him now. That's why we want to be good, is we want to be like him. It's from the genuine desires of our new nature that he has given to us by grace. That's relational righteousness. Well, all I'm trying to say is that sowing the seed is just another part of righteousness. It's just another part of obeying his will. And it should have the same motivation. It should be relational evangelism. Relational evangelism. Last week we talked about the wife, uh, the husband who said to his wife, must I kiss you goodnight? And she said, yes, you must, but not that kind of must. In other words, it better not be about filling some kiss quota for the day. It better be because you really love me, and that's what you really want. So this week I say, must we share the gospel? Well, yes, we must, but it's not that kind of must. It's because we love Christ. He's shown us life. He's shown us eternity. It is the power of God to salvation. Why would we not share the truth? The motive of our evangelism it must be love for God and love for our neighbor. That's the only real motive. Earlier in the service, we read from Ephesians 4, which portrays the whole growing roots, bearing fruit, and branching out so well. I don't know if you've ever noticed before. He, he actually uses a metaphor of the body growing and developing, a human body. But if you just take out the, the allusions to the human body and put the allusions to the tree in there from the rest of Scripture, it fits very, very well. If you just look at the, uh, the responsive reading or if you look in your Scriptures in Ephesians 4, if you'll notice there in verse 11 at the beginning, he says, He gave shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Shepherds and teachers, which basically are the messengers of the Word. They are nothing, but the Word is everything. God, Christ has given to the church those who preach and teach and disciple in the word so that the church, the members of the church, can be equipped for ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the growing roots part. In verse 13, he says, until we all attain to mature manhood, to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's the bearing fruit part, because that's what the fruit of the Spirit are. That's, it's the nature of Christ. It's who Christ is. He is love, peace, patience, kindness. It's Christ-likeness. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So to become like Christ, to become mature in Christ, is to become a mature, fruitful tree in that imagery, to bear fruit. And then verse 15. This is all so that we might speak the truth in love. 
Speaking the truth in love. That's the branching out part. Verse 25, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's after talking about how much the Spirit has changed us through the word. Now he says, go out and speak the truth to your neighbor. Branch out. You're given a simple job. Just speak the truth. Share the truth. Sow the truth. The Holy Spirit is regenerating hearts all around us. Think about that. The work of the Spirit is ongoing. And he is causing hearts, dead spiritual hearts of sinners, to be born again everywhere around us. We just need to sow the seed. The power is in the seed. The power is in the message. The power is in the gospel. And when I look at the ministry of Oakwood Presbyterian Church, I get excited because we have people in key places to sow seed. We have sowers of the seed all over the campus of Penn State University, in places of influence, in places all over. We have people sowing the seed. We have sowers sowing the seed all over the town of State College and in several places in Center County. That's Oakwood branching out. That's what it means to branch out. I was thinking about how we send sowers of the seed out all the time at Oakwood. We talked about that a lot the first year I was here, is that we are a sending church because we lose so many of our members every year for good reasons, because they leave here to go do ministry elsewhere after having been trained and equipped, not just at Penn State, but here at Oakwood, as we send them out to sow the seed. And I've thought about that. I've only been here three and a half years, and in that time, we have sent sowers of the seed to work on the faculty of... Ohio State University, Covenant College, Georgia Tech, University of Vermont, Wright State University, and Pepperdine. We have also sent a sower of seeds to go to be a high-ranking officer at West Point. We have sent sowers of seed to study for ministry at Covenant Seminary and Westminster Seminary. We sent two sowers of seed to go work in the corporate world in Houston. We sent a sower of seed to start a campus ministry at the University of Southern California. These are just a few. There's so many others. As the ministry of Oakwood, as we stay committed to the word of God and look to the power of the Holy Spirit to use his word to bear a great spiritual harvest, this is how the word goes out. This is how we branch out 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, changing the imagery again. It says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? None of us are. But it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And it's about the power of the Spirit to change lives. Let's be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the calling to be sowers of the seed. Lord, forgive us for our unfaithfulness. Forgive us for how we have been carried away with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Lord, we just thank you that your grace is new every day and you are faithful even when we are unfaithful. May we be deepened in our love for Christ and our love for the gospel. May we be made faithful through the power of your spirit that the kingdom might branch out across this community, across this campus, 
across this county, this state, this nation, and the world. Thank you for the part that we play by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.